Hey, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome into another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, Deputy Manager at Second City Hockey. And with me to talk about, for the first time ever on the show, we have a playoff series to talk about. So I've got my two usual line mates with me. First up, it is the analytics styling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Holy shit, that's true. I know, right? I mean, this was not a series in like 2016. Yeah, I mean, we haven't been doing this like an incredibly long time, but I know for the first time since I have been working at Second City Hockey, we're getting to write about the playoffs because I joined about a week after they finished getting swept by the Predators. Oof, rough time to join. Yeah, it's been pretty much downhill ever since. I'm starting to yep. think I was the problem. Uh, no, I think probably trading Nicholas Elmerson was probably more of a problem. <laughs> well, that, that was a – no, yeah, you're right. It was that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also with us tonight, uh, he's probably not the problem. It is our site manager, Brandon Kane. Back in my day, the Blackhawks won playoff series. Back in my days, they won the Stanley Cup. Is yeah, that- it started in 2014, so first season was them winning the thing. You got the you got the tail end of the fun. <clears throat> Although, yeah. by far the most fun season was 2013, just because the way they just like – just smacked around the entire NHL for an entire winter. That was just delightful. But as we shift to the present, again, as we mentioned before, breaking news, we have playoff, play-in, gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit. We have a hockey series to talk about involving the Chicago Blackhawks, where if they win, they will advance to the next round. So we're going to call it a playoff because I want to. So it's five-game series with the Edmonton Oilers. Starts this Saturday at 230 Two o'clock? Two. Two o'clock. Two o'clock. Sorry. That's two o'clock Central Time, by the way. In case we have any East Coasters listening, that would be three o'clock for you. But a start of – it feels like a big – it's an opportunity for the Hawks because there's – as we've talked about a lot in this airwaves, the main group on this team, or I guess the majority of players on this team, have little to no playoff experience. Very few guys were around for the – teams in 2010 2013 2015 a lot of these guys haven't even been in the playoffs before so it's an opportunity for them to be exposed to that style of hockey and maybe prove and maybe learn something about themselves that they didn't know plus you've got a couple teenagers on the team who are pretty high draft picks one of which in Kirby Doc reportedly coming into his own during training camp and looked pretty good during Thursday's excuse me Wednesday's exhibition game against the St. Louis Blues so there's a lot of opportunity here for the Blackhawks. I think that's the word I keep coming back to. Is like there's a really big opportunity here for them to take advantage of something that they may not have necessarily deserved. So as we get ready to open up our discussion about the series, Shepard, I'll come to you first, as I usually do. And just what are your general thoughts on the matchup here and the way this all sets up and just in general, everything you're feeling about this series? We talked a little bit about this on the Thursday podcast, but I uh... – Connor McDavid was held without a point uh, in the two games. Um, he's he, he played against in the regular season against the Blackhawks this season. Uh, that's got to be a major motivating factor, both for him but also for the team to try and keep him contained again. Although Leon Draisaitl did score seven points in three games, uh, so that's a little bit worrying. 
Um, yeah. Pick, it's a kind of a pick your poison situation with them. And they've definitely picked uh, Dreisaitl. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like the Crosby Malkin conundrum. It's like, uh, and everyone talks about Connor McDavid being the best player in the world, potentially. I mean, whether or not that that's not the, whether he or Crosby's better is not the point of the debate, but I, it's like, you forget, you look at their team stats, Dreisaitl is the one that led in goals, assists, and points. He played seven more games. Maybe McDavid makes up all of those points in seven games, but uh, it's not like, uh, I wouldn't say Dreisaitl's better than McDavid. I don't think anyone would put that, but in terms of offensive production, Either one's terrifying. Right. And I think is probably playing with a little bit more better te- uh, quality of teammate this season than McDavid was. Having to lug uh, a career-best 34-point Zach Cassian around is probably <laughs> not probably, great for his numbers. And he probably got those uh, points because of his line mates this season. Uh, <laughs> but Dreisaitl has Yamamoto, and uh, he's. I think they, he might be playing with Andreas Anthonasiu. There might be a different person on that uh, left wing, but like Dreisaitl and Yamamoto as a pair are always dominant. Uh, it doesn't really matter who their third is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that top six is something I'm afraid of, um, especially, again, the Blackhawks, let's face the honest music here, people. Uh, worst defense in the league in the regular season this year, um, only saved by the fact that they had probably the best goaltending tandem. Um, when Robin Leonard was was in town, although Malcolm Subban didn't do half bad in the game game against the Blues, um, right. and other and he only played a minute in the regular season, which he probably would have played more uh, had an actual regular season occurred. Right. Um, it's just I'm it, it is a worry of mine. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid at all of their bottom six. I'm a little afraid of James Neal in power play because he has 12, he had twelve goals this season, um, but that top six you got to figure out a way to shut them down. And I think uh, Brandon Saad is going to be a huge factor in that. Yeah. It's, it feels like there's a lot of series where you kind of have to dig deep and kind of look around at matchups and such and figure out what's going to be the key. There's no mystery here. You have to slow down Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl by some, some manner. Like you're, yep. you're I mean, they're going to get their points somewhere. You're not going to shut them out every game because they're just too good. But if you can keep them from taking over an entire game and just, you know, scoring two, three goals or setting up a few more, that's pretty much the way you beat the Oilers. And as the regular season has shown, that's what a lot of teams have – it hasn't been entirely difficult to do. I mean, they finished with 83 points. They were second in the division in a not great Pacific division. And they were, uh, I mean, only – like slightly above the middle of the pack, they would have been, if you were looking at the standard uh, NHL playoff format, they would have been the four seed in the, in the, in the yeah, Western conference, almost called it the East. It's not basketball. So maybe a good, but not great team is what I'm trying to say here. And with they're clearly top heavy and there's clearly a, a path to beat them. And one of the biggest paths to beat them involves dominating the play at five on five. Cause they're clearly weaker in that regard. And I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. But before we do that, Brandon Kane, I want to go to you about your uh, initial thoughts on this matchup. Just limit the quality scoring area chances. I feel like that is – Well, did you watch the Blackhawks this season? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kind of struggled with chances that. Are not their specialty. Yeah, so that is clearly a disadvantage for Chicago in that manner. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, like what Dave said at the top of all of these young players finally getting the not technically playoff yet, but basically it is what it is. Like it's a series. So seeing how they adapt to that style of play where you're preparing for the same opponent night in and night out. And it's not right. And the coach too, like we haven't mentioned that, like the coach has never yeah. done this either. It's basically Mark Crawford against Dave Tippett, but yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, you go down the Hawks roster, there's so many unproven names and Kubalik and Debrinkat and Strom, Nylander, Doc, Murphy, Mata. Oh, I should. Well, Mata won two cups. Of yeah, I should. Yeah, I, I should have. I should have skipped Mata and went to David Camp. He was the next name on the list I was looking at. Yeah. And and I say Debrinkat's unproven because he hasn't played a postseason game in his career. So th- there's a lot of guys here that I, I think that that's the biggest thing I have coming into this series is I there's just a lot of questions that we won't know until the games start playing because there's a lot of players that haven't done this before, so you don't know what's going to happen when they when the spotlight gets put on them. I mean, what if Alex Nylander figures shit out and playing on the line with Stroman Kane and he goes off? It's, right. it's not, you know, it's not entirely impossible, but... Oh, my God, he's on X Games mode. <laughs> <laughs> Edmonton has two of the best players in the world, and they are going to terrorize the Blackhawks. They're going to score a fair amount of points. It's just, I, I think, and I wrote about this when I wrote about the forwards because I feel like it's kind of the theme of the entire matchup here. Both teams have pretty lackluster defensive pairings, except I think the Hawks might have a little more offensive upside if Adam Boquist is unleashed. But when it comes to the Fords, say that again. I Darnell Nurse and Oscar Clefbaum are plenty offensive. Okay, fair enough. I I will. Your objection is sustained. But anyway, <laughs> um, if the Blackhawks have enough depth to counteract the top-heavy nature of the Edmonton lineup, I think that's the whole mystery of the series. That's what we're going to find out because I think like the Kane line. It may not match either a McDavid line or a Drysaddle line, but it'll come pretty close because Kane's going to get his points too. And then whatever line the Hawks use to try and play a defensive game against uh, one of those other top six lines for Edmonton, either the Camp line or the Taves line, however they'd like to do it. Um, it I, I guess the whole thing I'm trying to point I'm trying to make here is that it's the Blackhawks third line that I'm most intrigued by in this series. Cause I feel like that's going to make or break this entire series for the Hawks because the, the way all the other lines kind of match up and shake out, I feel like they play to a draw. And then you have the Blackhawks third line against Edmonton's third line. I don't even know who's on Edmonton's third line. They're probably not any good, but the Hawks third line, at least during Wednesday's exhibition game against St. Louis was Drake Kajula, Kirby Dock, and Alex Debrinkit. As we've discussed much on this podcast, Debrinkit had a massive slump the entire regular season pretty much. Kirby Dock had moments of brilliance, moments where he looked like he was an 18-year-old, but he's reportedly been a kind of a revelation in, tr- in this second training camp from his first season. So maybe he figures something out in the next couple of days. And then Drake Kajula has been a guy that has been a – Good complimentary player on the top line, but it seems like he'd be well-suited in a third role, like grinder role, which basically Andrew Shaw reincarnated. So that line seems like it has enough talent to score two or three crucial goals at key moments that could flip the entire series. What do you guys think about that? 
Uh, Alex DeRincat and Kirby Docker Butter players when they're together. Um, I've yeah. written about that on, on Second City Hockey. Um, they have really good numbers together. Um, DeBrincat just had horrible luck with Doc. So if that breaks, um, and again, with how bad his luck was this season, um, it should break uh, at some point. Like, that is a, a line to watch, especially because Drake Ajula is apparently, was or is apparently um, one of Connor McDavid's best friends. So going against him is going to be something Drake probably wants to do very badly. And, and Brandon, thank you for sending me the the lines that Cal, the Edmonton used against Calgary the other night. The third line was Afanasiu, Gaten Haas, who was only in the lineup because Riley Shahan didn't play. And Riley Shahan's more of a, pen, a really good on their penalty kill, but not much anywhere else. And mm-hmm. Josh Archibald, who's the same story, Shahan, Shahan, he's a good on the penalty kill, but not much of an offensive threat. So on the Blackhawks' third line, you have a 40-goal score from last season in Alice Brinkett. So that alone tells you the talent gap that exists between Chicago's third line and Edmonton's third line. So if the top two lines on each team play to a draw, the fourth lines will probably just throw them out the window because I feel like neither one's going to be very relevant in the series. It's that third line where the Hawks have a significant advantage in terms of talent. And if that talent performs like it's capable of, that could be the deciding factor in the series. Brandon, what do you think about all that? I'm obviously very committed to this argument now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it definitely makes sense, especially on five on five play because the Oilers just drop off into nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very interesting aspect of Edmonton's season as we're looking into this, doing all our previews this week, is Edmonton's not that great at 5-on-5 five five hockey. And when you, you know, in 5-on-5 five five hockey is the majority of the game. They have the best you power hope. play. Yeah, <laughs> right. They have the, the best power play in the league and the second best penalty kill from the regular season. So they've got the special teams locked down, and I'm, I think we can make a pretty good assumption that Edmonton special teams are going to win out in this series. But if the Hawks went out at five-on-five, five, where Edmonton was had a minus 16 goal differential in the regular season, you know, I, I, if you win the five-on-five five game in a playoff series, you're, you're probably advancing to the next round, right, Brandon? Yeah, logic would tell you that. But this is also like they're playing at least two of these games as the third game of the day. So it's like, what are the ice conditions going to be like? Is this going to be terrible ice to where you get like one of those fluky bounce goals? Who knows? They also have Mike Smith in that. Yeah. Or Miku Koskinen. Or Miku Koskinen, who's unproven in the NHL. It seems like Mike Smith. He also wears number 19, which should just be illegal. Yeah, 19 for a goalie is wrong. But uh, Mike Smith's going to be the guy, it seems, right? They, I, I don't think Edmonton's made that official, but... That's rough, because he cost Calgary the end of that series against Colorado last season. Well, he can, he, we'd be have no problems if he did it again. I'm still like... Mike Smith just annoyed the shit out of me during that series when he was on the Coyotes back in 2011? No, 2012. 12. And, yeah, he did that... He flopped behind the net when Andrew Shaw breathed on him and got Shaw I think Shaw got suspended for a game for that hit. Quote hit. Uh, the all those te- stick throwing and stick breaking temper tantrums, which I think he had one when the Hawks chased his ass in a game this season. So if oh, the Hawks he did. Wanted, yeah, if the Hawks wanted to light up Mike Smith for us and just kind of 
even the score from 2012, I am entirely here for it. Although uh, one of the secrets to Edmonton's penalty kill success this regular season and something I did not know until I looked it up for an article I was writing, Mike Smith had the best shorthanded save percentage among any goalie in the NHL this year. Were you guys aware of that? I had no idea. No, I only knew that Robin Leonard was third. And I, I think it's actually – I just knew that Mike Smith was still in the league. <laughs> it was like a three-way tie between – it was Leonard and Mike Smith and I think Martin Jones from San Jose. San Jose. Yeah, which was not – forgot the that the Sharks had goaltenders. <laughs> yeah, look at – they couldn't even make – they expanded the playoffs and San Jose is still sitting at home watching. So that tells you what kind of season they had. I mean, obviously, I've made my X factor for this series kind of well-known already with my discussions of the Blackhawks' third line. Uh, so, Brandon Shepard, either, either one of you guys want to take this. Uh, what do you see as kind of the most important thing or the, the X factor or key thing the Hawks need to do to win this series? Score on the power play, um, which is something they didn't do all regular season, 28th in the league in oh, first they, they, they successful. Well, I saw on Wednesday. They did, they did twice, twice against the Blues, uh, which is good news. Uh, and part of that was very much Kirby Dock. Um, so scoring on the power play is going to come down to a few people. Um, I think Kirby Dock's one of them. Uh, Patrick Kane is the other. And then Alex Dabrinkat's probably the third because he led the team in power play goals in the regular season. Um, it's the only place he could score uh, in the regular season. Um, so those three guys are going to need to step up on the power play. But also, like, getting more from Dominic Kubelik, who scored both power play goals on Wednesday. Um, maybe seeing Brandon Sod on the second unit with Alex Nylander, uh, Dylan Strong. Uh, Got to get more on the power play, I think. And I think you, you mentioned Alex Dabrinkit a little bit. I really think that if you can get an early goal from Dabrinkit and kind of get the whatever bad voodoo that he had following him around in the regular season, if you can get him to shed that early on in this series, you could really get him going – for this series and maybe for series afterwards. So I think if there's one guy, I was really hoping he would score against St. Louis on Wednesday night. I don't remember any major scoring opportunities he had, but if you get Alex to bring it an early goal and get him going the way he was in the prior two seasons, that could be a massive development for the Hawks. Brandon, what about you? So I think that it lies on Alex Nylander's shoulders. Uh If he can translate – what happened in training camp for him to an actual game, I think it will have that same effect that you had talked about with Debrinket, where it's like, all right, this clicks now. He's got it. We can roll with this because, yeah, the Blackhawks have more depth for five-on-five play, but if Nylander isn't clicking with Strom and Kane like we had seen during training camp, then it kind of is just – a wash because it's not two complete lines like mm-hmm. the Oilers have. So if he's on his game and actively on both ends, then I feel like that line can work and do some damage. Yeah. Like Patrick Kane has shown ability to take over games by himself. And then if you get him with some line mates that are clicking at the right time, they can, Damn your takeover series. I mean, in, in 2014 against the Kings, I feel like I referenced this series a lot, but he had 
The second line was Saad, Shaw, and Kane, and they pretty much single-handedly won games five and six and forced a game seven in that series. So if like Kane by himself might be able to steal a game, but if you get him some quality line mates, they can take over an entire series. And Alex Nylander remains a massive question mark, I think even bigger than some of the other young players we've discussed earlier. And I want to go back to Wednesday night really quick. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, I think it was in the first period, maybe the second, but Kane was coming into the zone and the, the puck had just left the zone. Kane corralled it in neutral zone, skating back in. And I'm 90% sure it was Nylander was on the opposite end of the ice and kind of half-assing, getting back to the blue line to touch up to be onside. And he didn't make it in time, so Kane was offsides when he had a decent scoring chance. And you could see, I don't know if you could hear, but you could see the frustration on Kane and he like fired the puck into the walls out of frustration and then glared at Nylander across the ice. So uh, my advice would be for Nylander to not do that again. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair take. I, because I it's, it's a point of like, there's been a discussion where Nylander can play, but he has to be put with offensive players like him to succeed. He's in that position now. So step up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so if he has to be with those talents to perform, you have to capitalize on those opportunities when they're given to you because if you don't prove worthy, you know, I'm sure if he does that one or two more times, Kane seems like the type of guy that will pull Colleton or one of the assistant coaches aside and say, get this guy off my fucking line because I can't play with him. Well, he can't play with me. Well, yeah. (laughs) Whatever. This guy cannot be my line mate is what I'm trying to say. The formula doesn't seem all that complicated here. It's contain McDavid and Dreisaitl, which I think a large part of that is not letting the power play go off, which I think the best thing would be for the Hawks to do is to not take very many penalties. I swear to God, if they take one too many men penalty, I'm going to drive to Edmonton myself. They may not let me into the country because of the coronavirus here, but I'm going to try. But it's like stay out of the box, contain their two top stars, and let your depth – the Hawks don't have the best depth in the NHL, but they have more than Edmonton, and they seems like they have enough that it can, it can win. And I, I think of all the teams that the Hawks could have been matched up with in this first round, other than the massive gap in speed between the two teams, I feel like this is one of the more winnable series that the Hawks could have had because uh, outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl, there's not a ton here to be scared of. Uh, one under-the-radar name that I mentioned in an article this week, and I want to bring it up again here, Kyler Yamamoto, I think he was a first-round pick, Shepard? Yes, he was, 2017. Yeah, first-round pick of Edmonton. And he played – he got called up uh, between Christmas and the New Year, and he was playing at around a point-per-game pace for the second half of the season. So uh, if you're looking for an unheralded guy on the Edmonton side to watch that might scare the shit out of you by the end of the series, Kyler Yamamoto is probably the guy you're looking for. Um, But, yeah, but I I still – there seems like an obvious path here for the Hawks to win and get to the next round. And it seems like they have the capability of doing that. Now, this is usually the time where people would do predictions and say whatever team is going to win and however many games we had a little discussion beforehand. And we decided those are kind of stupid because sports are too random. Weird things happen. Players get hurt. Players get hot. Players go on massive cold streaks. It's, it's just, it's, 
I, I never saw the point in them. I don't think there's anything we know that any sports writer for any media outlet's going to know more. It's kind of just guessing based off what information we have. So instead of doing that, I think we're just going to kind of give you maybe the biggest key for the series or maybe an X factor or maybe just to kind of give you an if-then situation where if the Blackhawks do this, then they will win the series. So Shepard, Brandon, whichever one of you wants to go first and whatever you'd like to add to the near end of this discussion with those parameters involved, the floor is either one of yours. If the Blackhawks kill 85% of penalties, they'll win the series. There you go. Because of how reliant Edmonton was on their power play during the regular season, like the, the rate at which they scored and how much that covered for their deficiencies at five on five, it seems like all this other stuff we talked about with player depth, it may pale in comparison to how important it is just slowing down that power play because that seemed like Edmonton got so much just in-game energy and momentum and whatever terminology you want to use. They relied so heavily on that power play to get them to where they got during the regular season. And it's not entirely like just play driving ability. They had the highest shooting percentage in the NHL on the power play. So that might be also luck based. Yeah. Like it's, I remember looking at their numbers on the power play. Like they didn't have an excessive amount of shots or scoring chances or anything, or no, it was, or shots or shot attempts, but they had a really high number of scoring or high rate of scoring chances. And I think high danger chances as well, which means it seems like they just kind of, they worked the puck around till they found the opportunity they were looking for. And more often than not, they made it hurt because they have guys like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl that know how to make it hurt when they get those opportunities. Right. So just show those two. Yeah, and they're fast as hell and they move around all the time. It'll be interesting to watch Edmonton's power play juxtaposed with what the Blackhawks do on the power play because it seems like it will very much be, here's what you should do, Edmonton, and here's what you shouldn't do, Chicago. Brandon, what about you? Alex DeBrinkett is on the same line as David Camp. People lose their shit. (laughs) That happened in Wednesday's exhibition game, and I just looked and I rewound the stream, and I was like, no, no, he's really out there for a defensive zone faceoff draw. Okay. To be fair, DeBrinkett can hit people. He is very very, uh, sucky. He is stock, and he also he's for a guy who's a feisty little guy. Yeah, he's he doesn't take <laughs> shit from anyone. Like, is it uh, Sam Gerrard in Colorado, the defenseman who's just about the same size to break it is? They've already fought a couple times, so yeah. to break it's. I mean, he's obviously not going to go fight Zdeno Chara, but he's he's not afraid to. Well, to... damn it, Dave! Now I want to see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. Well, that means the Hawks will be in the Stanley Cup because the B- Boston's in the East. So if we get a Alex to bring a Zidane Chara fight. There, there's some, some, there's a lot of weird things. I, hey, it's 2020 is a weird year, man. So let's not rule it out. Yeah. But I would say like they're <clears throat> to me, like throughout this pause and like rewatching games from this season, there's like one player where I'm like, I just want something good to happen for you in this series. It's Connor Murphy. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. Like, Everything about him, you just, like, that's a good guy. Like, a team is going to use him, like, to market things, and you just know, like, he's a good, steady, solid player, and he hasn't been to the playoffs. So, like, 
if they win this series and they advance to the like official 16 team playoff, then he finally gets into the postseason after years of exile in Arizona and then coming here and waiting it out and having back surgery and then the groin injury mm-hmm. where like things just haven't started off well to the season for him. And it's felt like it's kind of delayed his impact. And I feel like the trade wise, it's leaning more towards Chicago's favor and it would even more so if he was fully healthy this entire time. So if he can come back through this pause and have a good series, then I feel like even more people are going to realize like, no, he's a steady player and probably a top pairing defenseman for this team moving forward. He's yes. not the he wasn't the problem essentially. No, he was the best defenseman on this. He was, the, he was the, easily the best defenseman on this blue line. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the idea of a Connor Murphy Calvin DeHaan pairing, especially in this series because of how fast Edmonton is. Yeah, I I yeah. think I like the idea of splitting like they're each Connor McCur- eh, Connor Murphy obviously very good at his job, and Calvin DeHaan. I, I feel like we're still trying to figure out who he is because of how many games he's missed due to injury. I feel like that those two would be better served with other guys that are more mobile. I feel like that Keith Murphy pairing, which played behind uh, – it was Keith and Murphy playing behind Taysad and Kubalik in the March game against Edmonton when the Hawks completely shut down McDavid, like completely buried him in the possession game along with not letting him get on the scoreboard. So, like, go Keith Murphy and Boquist Dahan, and then Mod and Cuckoo on the third pairing. I, th- I, have, I have problems associating the word mobile with 37-year-old Duncan Keith. Well, it's he's, – more, he's more mobile my, than my, – My ideal is that the Cuckoo-Murphy pairing in the very limited time they had together was fantastic. Um, and I'd like to see them more. Well, I mean, either, either way, I just – I don't like the idea of a shutdown pairing – Murphy moves okay for a guy his size, but he certainly can't keep up with McDavid. I don't think anyone on the Hawks' blue line can keep up with those two guys. They're too fast. But the rate at which they cannot keep up is going to be so astronomical with a DeHaan-Murphy pairing that that really scares me. I'm also interested to see how the balance of getting Lucas Carlson into games because it certainly seems like he's going to. Yeah, and uh, that that's another guy that would be more mobile, more mobile than and willing to get shots fired into his face <laughs> yeah. as he showed during the season. Yeah, like, yeah. He did that in the he did that in the AHL, and that's like the AHL. That's fine. Like take one on the shoulder. Like it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. But when you take one right to the dome, that uh, stands out within like your first five games in the NHL. Well, I hope he doesn't take any off the face because we need they would need him on the ice. And if he takes one to the face, he probably won't be there. But um yeah, I I would I would absolutely love to see Lucas Carlson in the series over Mata or Cuckoo. I don't really care which one. I know Shepard's been a big fan of that third pairing. Fine, but I feel like Lucas Carlson has a bright future with the Blackhawks and I wouldn't mind seeing it start now. And seeing, you know, like we've talked about with all these other young guys, throw him into the fire, see what he can do. You know, I, I don't, I don't think the Hawks have really much of anything to lose here. If the Hawks lose this series, we'll just be like, 
all right, yeah, that's probably about fair. I mean, they were the 24th of the 24 teams into this tournament, so. 23rd. Oh, sorry. We were better than Montreal. Oh, well. Yeah, don't make a habit of saying that, Dave. Let's raise a banner. Better than the Canadians. No one's going to turn into the National Predators. Uh, speaking of players we're rooting for, um, Dylan Strom for me. Uh, I don't have any lack of faith that Dominique Kubelik's going to get signed in the summer. Um, the Blackhawks can't do without him. Uh, he was their best, honestly, probably their best pure goal scorer this season. Dylan Strom is a fan, is a great middle six center. Um, especially when played with the right line mates like Kane. Um, and I want him to be re-signed to the Blackhawks. And if he performs well in the series against Edmonton, he will be. Yeah. And if Dylan Strom was a top three pick. Yes. Yeah. So he was a number three pick. So th- there's talent there. Uh, and if he comes into his, like, he's, he's always been pretty good, but if he takes another step forward, that's another guy that could really cement himself as a, key part of this team going forward. It's going to be interesting to watch. I'm excited to watch it. I hope you're all excited to watch it. I know Brandon and Shepard are, ju- are excited too. Uh, we're just thrilled to have more hockey to watch because it's been a really weird four and a half months since the last Blackhawks game. And uh, I, I don't think I'm putting words into either one of their mouths when I say we're just glad to have hockey again. Um, and hopefully when we come back next week, we're talking about some Blackhawks victories. But that's going to do it for this episode of Musings on Madison. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to secondcityhockey.com. We'll have plenty of previews, game threads, recaps, analysis, all those good things. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. I'm sure we'll all be active yelling at our computer screens with whatever happening on the ice. Come back next week. I'm sure we'll be talking all about these games. For Brandon, for Shepard, I'm Dave. And for first time talking about an actual freaking playoff series, I'm very excited. Go Hawks. da 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 da